What I love because of Steve and Kyla's heartbeat, especially with their kids, I know without a shadow of a doubt that whenever they go down, they're also going to hear the gospel preached. So no matter what, the gospel is getting preached to those kids. They're going to hear about what Jesus did for them. They're going to hear about the crucifixion. They're going to hear about the resurrection. They're going to hear about the new life that they get to find in Christ. And that is what is the most important. There's a lot of other things. Uh, we were actually, so when the whole shindig was going down with Skylar and Emily and we were planning things out and like going and following and I was trying to decide whether I'd hide in a bush or bury myself in the sand to take pictures, I was like in this moment, right? But before that, we had dropped off the kids, Keone and Alana, with the Haynes. So Ben and Kelly watched them, which was like huge blessing not to be have to tote around kids and try to figure out what we're doing on the beach and whatnot. But we turn on VeggieTales, and sure enough, it's like, you know, the new VeggieTales is all like these moral in-the-house stories, like, or in the city stories, and it's, and you might get a little bit of like a scripture verse thrown in here and there, uh, but it's not teach, the new VeggieTales doesn't like straight out just be like, here's what the Bible is teaching. And Ben was watching, he was like, this, I don't want to watch this VeggieTales, this is junk, I want to watch the old VeggieTales. I'm like, yeah, thank you, and it's, and this is what can happen, right, is that in the church too, it's like we have maybe the morals from the Bible, think that that's the Christian life, when really the Christian life is complete foolishness, if you think about it, uh, we trust in a guy that died on a cross, um, and I'll tell you why that's foolishness here as we enter into the Word today, but uh, that's what we're going to look at actually in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It's complete foolishness, um, especially to the world that Paul was living in whenever he wrote his letter to the Corinthians. So uh, if you do, go ahead and open up. If you have a Bible, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and then uh, if you don't, then that's okay, because we're going to make it pop up on the screen here somehow, some way. There we go. All right, so we preach Christ crucified. That's the biggest issue uh, with the believing Christian church, is that it's complete foolishness when you look at the fact that we preach Christ crucified. That's the foolish aspect of the gospel. Um and we'll get into that. I'm, I'm really like trying to hold myself back from just like going at it and telling you the main point and why and all the good stuff that has to go with why it's foolishness. Uh, but that's the, the reason why it's foolish is we preach Christ crucified. And so studying this, studying this, it was really interesting because what I found commentators constantly going back to, and like I read it and I got kind of the gist of what Paul is saying and kind of understood it based off of what I remember learning about what the Corinthian church was and looking at words that Paul used and then going and looking at Greek words and all the fun stuff that goes with studying the Bible in depth. Like did all of that and then it's like, okay, let's see what commentators are saying. And it was really interesting how the commentators kept going back to the fact that just like what Paul was saying, you know, of everything that they've ever written or anything that they could ever pull out of Scripture, if they don't pull the fact that Christ was crucified, you miss everything. You miss everything about the Christian life if you forget that Christ was crucified. And specifically crucified on a cross and in the context of that day, what that meant. You miss it all. Um, and it's very, very easy to miss it because Christ crucified, especially back then, was a huge shame. And it didn't make sense to anyone in the world that God would allow for his son or God himself would hang on a cross. Didn't make any sense. It's like God today deciding that of all the ways, like you've heard it say, like the electric chair. Another commentator said it'd be like Christ coming today and being hung on a noose. 
try it and you think, well, I, that guy? I, he's hanging there for the vultures to eat him while he's just rotting away. Why are we going to worship him? So they said if you completely do anything other than preach Christ crucified, if you forget everything else, then this is kind of what I got out of that, is that you're just nothing more than putting a mask over the gospel. So you become something completely different. And people, people think, people think that, oh, well, Christ crucified, he's there. Like, I know in the back of my head when I'm telling you all about Christ crucified, like, in my mind, I'm telling you all about it. But can you focus on anything really right now? Right? No? All right, well, here, we'll do it like this. This, okay, by the way, this is not a Ninja Turtle. This is a Lego Ninjago. So if you don't know what Ninjago is, that's what I am. All right? So I'm Ninjago, all right? So, um, yeah, Scott looks like he could fit this one. So, Scott, you're going to be Thor, all right? All right? Let's see. Oh, yeah, you got to stand up for a second. We're going we're gonna to find some people. I saw someone that really looked like a good Spider-Man. Who, uh, Roger, you want to be Spider-Man? All right, yeah, Roger's like even, he's like, if you're going to give me a mask, I'm jumping ahead of it. I'm just going to be Spider-Man. So you're going to be Spider-Man. This is great, too, because obviously these guys have something else on their mind today besides church. I don't, FSU, I don't know. So it's, it's good. This is great. All right. Now, this is I actually had in mind already just because I thought, like, this mask is smaller than small. It hurts to put it on my head. But JT would look really good in this Batman mask. I'm feeling it. It's just it's going to look great on him. You don't necessarily have to stand up here, but... We're just going to see it. All right, Iron Man, let's see. Steven, you look like a good Iron Man. We'll take it. That's good. Billionaire with, like, all the tech in the world. That's great. And then my, my oh, wait, we need Captain America. Let's see. Oh, yeah, that's it right there. That's fantastic. All right, Austin, I feel like you could be Captain America. I don't know what you looked like when you were 12, but now you're, like, getting big and all jacked that's great and then who's a terrible shot who can't like if you had if you had a sniper in like right in front of you you couldn't even hit like a massive building who just can't shoot worth anything because this is your mask right here nobody everybody feels like they're a pretty good shot that's good all right let's see i don't want to discriminate here who can i choose would you wear that that'd be good you don't have to you she wasn't making eye contact so it's good all right <clears throat> All right, I'm gonna take this off because I can't, I can't breathe anymore. And Keone's breath smells, and I can smell it through that mask. Just so you all know, Keone wears these masks on a pretty regular basis. All right, so based off of this, if I were to ask you, if you, especially if you're friends with any of these people, if I were to ask you something about this person, you could still tell me who they are, right? And you could still probably tell me a detail about their life, correct? If you know them. But if you don't know them, and I were to say, I would like for you to describe JT right now in the best way that you can. All you, all you ever knew about JT was what you saw, right? Okay? There's a lot of ways you could describe JT right now. In your head, you might be thinking of things, and if I brought you the mic, you'd be like, I can't say exactly what I'm thinking, but it's pretty funny, and I'm not going to, it's church. So, okay, but you've got JT, and JT is obviously Batman, right? Without a shadow of a doubt. If you were having an issue at night, you'd expect JT to come bounding in through, like with a, whatever, he'd be slinging with his batarang and he'd swing through your window and he'd punch a guy out, 
right? Now, you'd expect for JT to do that, right? Would you not? But anyone that actually knows JT would be like, no, JT's in bed by 8.30. He's not. It can be, no, not 8.30. Oh, okay, wait, here we go. So now we're going to get, so when does JT go to bed? If JT's asleep, does he hear the slightest noise? Could he go bounding up a building with, like, a batarang slung to it? No, okay. So we're at least we're at some limitation. All right, but if you didn't know JT, you might think that, right? The mask will do a lot of things. It'll make you think things that maybe aren't true, right? But if you know JT and you know the details about him that are important, then you can start to make the assumption that underneath the mask, underneath the mask, there's other things that are going on, right? And so then we've got Roger and Roger Spider-Man. But at the same time, we didn't know this about Spider-Man, but apparently he, uh, he follows the Mets. So he really cares about the Mets, right? So you didn't know this about Spider-Man already, all right? So, but uh, Roger has a secret life, right? He does, right? The Beanmobile is his secret life. But the real Spider-Man, the real Spider-Man's secret life is, right, Peter Parker, if you've ever followed that. And you know that he's taking pictures of himself and he's making a lot of money. He's actually like double dipping in the world of making money and then beating bad guys up. Right? And he's struggling with his own life as this teenager, doesn't know where he's going. And then all of a sudden you think, wow, it's okay, it's a teenage kid that's underneath the Spider-Man's mask. So Roger takes off his mask. Let's see the teenage kid underneath the mask. And you're like, wait, that's not a teenage kid. Ooh, put the mask back on, please. That's just, all right, right? So that's, that's how it goes. So do you see, like, we can look through. Now, I could have everybody wear their mask all service, but Stephen would not be happy about that because he's probably smelling Keone's breath right now too, right? Iron Man, right? We're expecting that if there's something that's going to go wrong, Steven's going to come bounding in as Iron Man. Pew, pew, shoot the little whatever laser photonic jets out of his hand, right? And he's sustained completely by, if you know Iron Man's story, this like kind of weird magnet that's in his chest keeping shrapnel from hitting his heart, right? That's your story, isn't it? But that's Iron Man's story. We all know the story of Iron Man. What are you doing faking around and telling us lies? Oh, man, Keone does this all the time wearing masks, thinking he's Iron Man. He's telling lies whenever he's wearing it. Now, there might be some things that are true about him, right? Do you care about other people? Okay, so Iron Man does care about other people. Do you make mistakes once in a while like Tony Stark? Not like the full extent of what Tony Stark does, but do you make mistakes every so often? Like you just like you catch yourself in a situation like, man, I made the wrong choice there. That was bad. Do you ever like try to talk down your mistake and, I mean, this is a little personal, right, and try to make it somebody else's mistake so you don't have to face the blame? Does that ever happen? Because Tony Stark does that almost all the time. But if you do it once, then that's good enough. So you've done it maybe once in your life. So you have some similarities with Tony Stark, but you're not him, right? Because if I were to ask you for like, you know, $100,000 just right now, you couldn't just like, oh, yeah, it's in my wallet. Hold on. That's too bad, man. I was really hoping that we'd, if he would have nodded yes, everyone would have been your friend, right? And that's what he experiences. So that, do you see how we're kind of going? We got, we got masks on people. This is probably the closest one, I think. He's tall. He's young. Within the last, like, couple years, you know, he's just really probably shot up and gained muscle. Rose, you know, he's, he's, he knows what he's doing with his life, right? You Captain America, right? That's it. You don't have a shield, though. I'm kind of a little disappointed. Where's that at? At home, all right, he's got an answer for it. That's good, all right. So, but we have Captain America behind the mask. You wouldn't know who this person is, okay? Nobody would. But then all of a sudden, like if Sophie were to all of a sudden walk in and she looks at you, do you think she could pick you out of a crowd? You think even with the mask on, you think she'd still? Should we bring her up here right now? Is she here? Should we bring her up here right now and have her identify who Austin is? Are you all three, like get five of you stand together? You think she could pick you out of the crowd? Probably. He's got a lot of faith. I don't know. 
trust in Sophie just quite a bit. Does anyone think Sophie could pick him out of the crowd out of all these guys in masks? If I said, which mask is Austin wearing, would she be able to say, oh, it's, it's Captain America? All right, well, she might not know the Captain America bit, but she'd say the blue one, all right? So, and then finally, we have Thor from another complete planet. You don't have your hammer, because we'll just go with the fact that you've, you've come to that point of Thor's life where like, you're just, you don't have your hammer anymore and you're wasting away. Is that a good, that a good assumption? All right, the, the lazy Thor, that's... <laughs> all right, you've got to see the Marvel movies if you've not seen that, because this is even funnier that he's agreed to it. So, okay, so, but yeah, you've got Thor, and Thor's just kind of like, you know, like, what are you doing with your life, bud? And you're just like, I don't even care anymore. Anymore. I'm giving up on life. And you assume things maybe about you that aren't true because you're wearing the Thor mask, right? Do you know the difference, though? Does he actually, like, waste away his life, sit on the couch eating bonbons, not doing anything? <laughs> oh, so she says she do sit on the couch. Well, maybe. All right. So, but, yeah. <laughs> That's great. So, anyways, but, yeah, so you're probably more of a hardworking person than Thor is at this exact moment in his life without his hammer. Right? You do things from time to time. You care about other people. You're not just wasting away only thinking about yourself. But at the same time, like somebody that just sees you with the mask and doesn't see you with the hammer and says, oh, this must be that point in Thor's life, they'd assume something different. Right? And you just make an assumption based off the mask. The mask alone is how we make the assumptions. Right? And then, of course, we have the stormtrooper that's decided not to join the party. Uh, <clears throat> That's okay. She doesn't have a gun. There's no point. She's not going to shoot anyone and hit them anyways, right? But still, at the same time, we have the mask. And without the mask on, then we have a completely different person, correct? Completely different, correct? To you. Yeah. But in the reality, even with the mask on, it's the same person. But you assume that it's completely different if we take the mask off. And that's because I think society has conditioned us to think that, oh, the mask makes them someone different. And the church has conditioned people to think, well, if I put a mask on, now I'm not saying every church, but we put masks on things because it detracts from the things that are foolish. And the cross of Christ is foolish. And it's hurting people. Because it causes you to have to do something that you don't want to do. You're having to trust something that's foolish, and I'll show you that in a second. So we add little masks to it, and the masks make it okay. Oh, I can take the Jesus of love. Yeah, Jesus is a really good teacher. I'm gonna We're going to do a lot of the Jesus teachings this week. Actually, we've got a whole year-long series on Jesus as the teacher, just so that way we can avoid Jesus on the cross. And there are some churches that do that. Not every church, but watch out for the churches that do. And hopefully by the time I get done today, you'll be willing to stand up in front of anyone and just simply preach Christ crucified. Don't worry about all the fluff, all the masks, because they actually don't matter. What matters is Christ crucified. We're going to see that in 1 Corinthians 1. Good job, everybody. Well done on the mask. You can take them off unless you want to leave it on. I understand. It makes you look, makes you look like someone you're not, maybe, and you enjoy that. That's good. All right. Yeah, yeah, you like that? You got, I gave you the ability to breathe. Everyone else is suffering for that whole time. <laughs> it's okay. The world suffers whenever we put masks on the gospel. The true gospel, which is Christ crucified. There are other parts. Even Jesus raising from the dead. We want to jump there a lot of times without getting to Christ crucified. Because it just is foolishness. And that's what we're going to see in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 
So here's something that I want to do really quick. Um, we're going to look at this. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, we're going to go through 1 through 31, because if I don't do it all, then I just, you know what, I just can't, I can't. I have to do the whole chapter. I have to show you guys why this is so great. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 1, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Sosthenes. Now, just really, really quickly, I want to take us here. So this letter is from Paul, right? So this letter is from Paul. Who's Paul? Uh, Paul's actually a guy that got himself a new name. So Paul's not his original name. Original name is Saul. Saul was a Jew that absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, hated Christians. And we'll talk more about that later. But he hated them. He persecuted them. He sought to kill them. He sought to drag them from the synagogues, from the cities. And he sought to see other Jews murder, kill those Christians for teaching and preaching Christ crucified. So he absolutely hated them. And then all of a sudden, Jesus changed his life. And when Jesus changed his life, it was radical. It was on the road to Damascus. He shone like a bright light. And then all of a sudden, he speaks to Paul. He says, hey, why are you, or Saul, he says, why are you persecuting me? And he's like, whoa, Lord, what are you talking about? And he's like, every, he's just kind of lays it out. He's like, dude, no more. I'm God. Stop. And he had to do it that way because Paul, who was Saul back in the day, loved the Lord with his whole heart. Loved him. And Jesus knew that. And Jesus knew that because of his love, but his blindness to the gospel, because it is foolishness, the cross crucified, or Jesus Christ crucified was such foolishness back then, Jesus knew that Paul was never going to get over that unless he showed up. So he did because he loved him. And he loves all of us. And he's going to show up in our lives in different ways and help us see that the cross is not foolishness. And if you're here this morning and you've ever thought that, why did Jesus die on a cross? That's stupid. Who's God? Why would he come down and live in a human form? All these weird things that you maybe have heard about Jesus or you've ever seen Jesus on a cross, whether the necklace on someone or you went to a Catholic church where they always have the Jesus on the cross and you just thought, that's dumb. Why would they worship some guy that's hanging on a stick? We're going to talk about that. That's the whole point. All right. Then we'll get here, the will of God, and that's it. Paul, in his life, experienced the will of God. He literally had no other choice, is what he's kind of saying. Jesus showed up, and this was it. It was so blatantly obvious that if I were to choose anything else, I was obviously denying who God was. And there is going to be times in your life where the same thing is going to happen. You have a choice to make, but God, I think, will make it so blatantly obvious in front of you that you're choosing to not choose him. It's the will of God. He is going to make it obvious. We actually talked about that in Romans. God makes himself perfectly seen by everybody in the world so that they have the ability to choose him. But men in their own choice, with their own wisdom, their own foolishness, they choose things or they make God into something other than what he actually is. And they choose those things instead. We, see, we saw that whenever we were going through Romans even last week. So verse 2, I'm writing to God's church in Corinth, to you who have been called by God to be his own holy people. He made you holy by means of Christ Jesus, just as he did for all people everywhere who call in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. So here's what I want to see really quick. First, that church at Corinth. Now, Corinth is kind of, if you ever look at the area of Greece, and you can look on Google Maps really quick if you really want to, I'll let you do that because it's kind of fun to pull it up and look at it. But go to Greece, and there's a place where Greece kind of comes down to this, uh, this really, really narrow point. 
and then it all of a sudden blows back up again and it's this big old like kind of almost looks like an island by itself if you don't zoom in but it comes down to this narrow point and uh, there's this, a pathway that went through it and that's the area of Corinth that's the province of Corinthia and so that's where there was tons of trade that would go in and out of there in order to get to some of the major cities in Greece that's where you had to go you had to go through Corinth Better yet, if you wanted to sail the majority of that northern Mediterranean and hit some really expensive cities, you had to take a boat and you had to, because you'd prefer to sail the coast, you had to either sail around the coastline of Greece or they actually had a cool setup where you could take your boat up to Corinth and that narrow strip of land, they put your boat on rollers and they'd roll it over the water and then back into the water on the other side. So you could avoid going through and past all this actually really dangerous, rocky territory where storms could blow you into the cliffs at any moment. And so men, actually sailors, preferred to take the route through Corinth, one, because it was safer for them and their cargo, and two, because they could party. So there was like kind of that mix. It was a double like, hey, yeah, we kind of win both ways. And so we prefer to take our boat and to go through Corinth. So Corinth is this place where people partied. It was kind of like your Las Vegas, your New York City, like the heart or whatever you might want to call it. In Tampa area, we would call it like the Ebor City area, right? But you had an area where you could party uh, and you could have a ton of fun. And there were churches everywhere. There were actually temples, but there were churches everywhere. And the best church of all was the, uh, or the temple of all was the temple of Aphrodite because all of her priests and priestesses uh, were actually going to manipulate you. They were going to go out into the city at night, and their form of worship was the form of love. And just because we have a few kids, I won't go into that too much. But it was the form of love, in case you kind of get my drift there. And that was Aphrodite's priests. That's what they did every single day. That was worship. So the sailors and anyone else that was in Corinth was like, yeah, we love to worship. That's great. Worship is awesome. We love worship, especially Aphrodite. That, that worship is great. So they would go into it on a constant basis. There was drinking. There was debauchery. There was sexual immorality. There was everything that you can imagine, and it was found at Corinth. So Paul specifically said, I'm writing to God's church in Corinth. And you think to yourself, well, hold on. Corinth? God has a church in that nasty hole in the Mediterranean world. There's no way that God would choose to have a church in Corinth. That's a nasty place to be. If I was God, I wouldn't choose to have a church in Corinth. I'm holy, right? God's holy. Why would you put yourself as a church? Why would you even allow for a church to be in the area of Corinth? So if you think that your life is too far gone, you're nasty, God wouldn't love you, God wouldn't want to have anything to do for you, this statement right here, God's church in Corinth, if you know what Corinth is and what it was, for God to have a church there means that he can also touch your heart and he wants to have your heart. No matter how nasty the past is, he wants your heart because he wants to be in Corinth. He's in Corinth, okay? Not only that, but... They're called to God, or called by God, to be his own holy people. Now, I chose New Living Translation. There's other translations that are out that out there that actually don't have the words to be in there. And that's because the original translation from Greek does not have the words to be. Now, to be is the same as kind of saying is. So you could say God is his own holy people, or called by God. They, they are, his holy people is actually to be that they are set apart or they are sanctified or they are, you know, they are holy. That idea of being holy set apart. Okay, so if you have the idea of being holy set apart, if you throw to be in there, then a lot of times the misinterpretation in our mind is I'm working to become that. 
but it doesn't say to become. It says to be, and that to be is actually translated more like is, but you can't just write that because that doesn't make sense, so the translation's put to be. So all that to say this, read it like this, they're called by God holy. They're called by God holy. So if you have New Living Translation, forget about the to be. That's not supposed to be there. If you have other translations, you'll see where that actually is the translation. They're called by God to be, and then maybe set apart, sanctified, whatever. But they're called by God holy. And so now all of a sudden, not only do we have the Corinthian church that God has decided to set up, but God actually will decide that in that, he's going to call the people that are a part of that church holy. Well, Why? They're in a massive amount of area that is completely just gone against everything that has to do with God. Sexual immorality is the biggest thing in the area, but then they have every other imaginable sin that you can imagine that's going on. So why would God have a holy people in the middle of that? What designates them as holy? So here's this word sanctification set apart, this idea of being holy, comes through Jesus Christ. And it's applied to anyone, anywhere, with any background. This is kind of like my definition, right? Anywhere, with any background, that's called by God and chooses to place their faith in Jesus Christ and salvation that's given through his death on the cross. That's what makes you holy. That's what makes you set apart. That's what makes you sanctified. So if you are holy, it is because you have made this decision. It's not unity around you that makes the decision whether you yourself are holy. It's not even necessarily your past. That designates whether or not you're holy. It's not the decisions and the mistakes that you make right now that designate whether or not you're holy. So you don't lose it. It's simply the blood of Jesus and the work that he did on the cross and you believing on that for salvation, that makes you holy. And it's immediate. You are sanctified and set apart. It's not a future thing. It's not something you have to work on every single day and get better at. It is an immediate stamp of approval by God. The blood of Jesus has covered you. You trust in the cross that Christ died on. You trust in the sacrifice that he paid there. And because of that, you're holy. You're set apart. You've chosen me. And essentially, God's like, so I choose you. There you go. So I'm writing to God's church in Corinth to you who have been called by God to be his own holy people. He made you holy by means of Christ Jesus. There it is just as he did for all people everywhere. And you could even say in the future, because that includes you. All people everywhere, no matter where they're at, this is how they're called holy, who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. So Paul's speaking for the future. Paul's speaking for the right now. Paul's speaking to the Corinthian church just as much as he is speaking to the church in Jerusalem. And the church in Jerusalem might have considered themselves more holy because they weren't the Corinthians. So when Paul writes this letter and he writes it like this to even begin it, he's setting a clear standard and a clear line that it is Jesus Christ that sanctifies us, that he makes us holy. That's an important thing. So now we'll get into a few more verses here. We'll read through this. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. I always thank my God for you and for the gracious gifts that he has given you now that you belong to Christ Jesus. Through him, God has enriched your church in every way. That's talking to the Corinthians. With all of your eloquent words and all of your knowledge. And it was a rich church too, by the way. Like I said, they were in the middle of trade. 
So the people that worked and that had jobs within that church, they were going to be wealthy. But notice that God, that Paul doesn't call out the wealth that is monetary. Paul calls out the wealth of eloquent words and knowledge. And he says this because he's actually going to kind of go against it in just a minute. So he puffs them up by saying, hey, yeah, you guys are super smart. You speak really, really clearly. But there's going to be something else to say in just a moment. So he says this. He says, this confirms that what I told you about Christ is true. Now, you have every spiritual gift that you need as you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. So not only is this church eloquent, not only does this church have every spiritual gift that it needs, and not only does this church have knowledge that is concerned with the Scripture. Uh, so he says this. He says, you have all these things, but then whenever you look at the majority of any church or even our lives today, do we have all those things? No. We don't have everything. Some of us don't speak the best, right? You might go to share the gospel, and you're like, I don't even know what to say right now, Right? Paul's commending them for literally being, know, they know what to say. When they go to share the gospel, they know exactly what to say. He says, yeah, you have eloquent words, you have knowledge. So if you find that you don't have that, check this out. This is going to be important. Then he says this. He says, hey, listen, I want Christ to keep you strong to the end so that you'll be free from all blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ uh, returns. Continue in this. Continue in this. He'll keep you strong. Check this out. He'll keep you strong to the end so that you will be free from all blame and on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. It's not over yet. We have something to look forward to, no matter what. Actually, Paul was heavily looking forward to this day when Christ returned. That's like his main focus in a lot of his letters. He's like, guys, this, this life is great, but there's so much more. There's so much better things coming later. When Jesus Christ returns, that's what we look forward to. That's our hope. And he says this, God will do this, for he's faithful to do what he says. And he's invited you into partnership with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. In verse 10, he says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church, rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. He's starting to get into a problem right now. He commended them for a lot of things, but now he's starting to get into a problem. He's, this problem is actually division. Check out the division that's going on, and then just ask yourself, man, aren't you glad that we don't do any of this? Check this out. <laughs> verse 11 for some members of chloe's household have told me about your quarrels my dear brothers and sisters chloe's household those rats told paul all about our quarrels now he's going to correct us didn't he just get done like giving them really good high regard and praise yeah paul knows a few things and here's one of his biggest problems that he's got <clears throat> some of you are saying i'm a follower of paul Others are saying, I follow Apollos, and others, I follow Peter, or I follow Christ. Has Christ been divided into factions? Was I, Paul, crucified for you? Were any of you baptized in the name of Paul? Of course not. I thank God, this is Paul writing, that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. For now, no one can say they were baptized in my name. And he kind of has this aside. He says, oh, yeah, that's right. I also baptized the household of Stephanus, but I don't remember baptizing anyone else. Imagine being someone that Paul had baptized and he didn't remember you when he read that letter. Oh, man. I laughed when I thought that. I was like, oh, man, poor Johnny. Got baptized by Paul and didn't even get written down. <laughs> All right. That really set you straight, especially if you were the one causing issues. Anyway, so, for Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the good news, the gospel, Christ crucified. 
Okay, we'll get to that. And not with clever speech. Remember, he just kind of said, you guys are really clever talkers. You know, you have a lot of knowledge. That's a really good thing. And Paul even kind of admits, I'm not even that good at talking. I don't have clever speech. But he says this, I didn't come with clever speech for fear that the cross of Christ would lose its power. I didn't want to mask it. And any time I thought about anything, if I thought that it was going to mask the cross, I didn't say it. And it's really hard. Have you ever kind of started to talk, and then all of a sudden, like, you're going to tell a joke, but you realize then in the setting that you're going to tell the joke in, you better not say that joke. Then all of a sudden, while you're having this discussion in your head about that joke, you forget what you were saying, and the next words that come out of your mouth sound like Charlie Brown's teacher. You walk away feeling like a complete idiot, but at the same time, you're like, ah, yeah, I don't, I couldn't tell the joke. I just couldn't say it. I don't want to create an issue. Skylar might have almost had that moment. Because when he, now this is good, I'm going to tell this story and that's it, no more. So while he was proposing, he drops down to a knee, perfect. He had got Emily crying and like screaming leading up to it, perfect. You can watch the video and you can see this happen actually. But anyways, we have a video on YouTube. But, uh, but anyway, so he's there, he's on his knee, opens the box, perfect-ish. Because the ring is upside down in the box. Like the ring is on the top portion. You know how like you have the box and there's the top and the ring's like perfectly displayed? So Skylar's like, I look down and I didn't see the ring. Right? And he's freaking out. Emily looks at the box and she just laughs. Just completely loses it. Just thinks it's the funniest thing ever. Grabs his hands. You'll see it in the video if you watch it. Flips them up right side up. So now we have a picture perfect shot. Good job, Emily. You got the shot. Uh, but anyways, and so, uh, but that's what happens. And it's amazing that it's a good thing you were pretty much done talking at that point. Because all that Emily had to do was say yes, right? So you did a great job. Because had you done it where you dropped and then started talking, you would have forgot what you were going to say. So you did a good job. He planned ahead on that one. But that's the sort of things that will happen, right? Is that all of a sudden, what matters the most you want to be able to present what matters the most, and that's what people are going to see, right? But if you do anything else, if you do anything else on top of that, you mask it, and people are going to miss the point. And Paul's like, I didn't want to do that. I'm not going to miss the point. Cross to Christ, and if you don't like that, that's all I have to say, too bad. Go somewhere else. Go find a new preacher. There's the Aphrodite temple down the way. Go be tempted by that, right? <coughs> so here we go. For Christ did not send me to be baptized, but to preach the good news, and not with clever speech for fear that the cross of Christ would lose its power. Now, did Paul actually think that the cross of Christ could lose power? Like, like Paul talking causes the cross to lose power in reality. Like, does all of a sudden, whatever Paul says, does it all of a sudden negate everything Jesus did on the cross? All the power. Does it? No. Right? And so, what does lose power, though, is the person that's hearing it doesn't get to experience the power because of all the extra words that Paul has to say. So check this out. The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know that it's the very power of God. So the message of the cross, let's get to that. There you go. Message of the cross. So I'm going to ask a few questions about the message leading up to the cross. If you think that this is something that's happened in the Bible, you can respond yes. Some of these are going to be generic. Some of these are going to be specific. So you guys help me out if you've uh, read the Bible and you know the gospel and how Jesus came. 
then you can answer these. Jesus Christ, was he born of a virgin? Did he live a sinless life? Okay, that's what the Bible teaches. Did he teach strong moral values and principles for life? Can you find that? Yeah, he did. A lot of people use those on a daily basis, actually. They consider him a great teacher. Did he display how to live life and honor God? Yeah, he did, right? However, was he stripped naked, beaten beyond recognition, spat on, mocked, stolen from, rejected by men, rejected by religious leaders of the day, nailed to a wooden cross, hung in front of a crowd to die, forsaken by God, for he took on the sins of the world, and as he hung there, bloodied and bruised, and he knew that his work was complete, he cried out, it is finished. Did you do those? Yeah. But he still hung there. And then he died. Did he die? How foolish. The world sees the cross. They cry out, man, that guy, what was he thinking? While he's dying, they even cried out a few things. Oh, here, he's calling out for Elijah. Let's see if he hears him. Oh, he said he was the son of God. Let's see if God saves him. Above him, it's nailed. Man, king of the Jews and the Jewish leaders are like, take that down. And Pilate's like, nah, I've written what I've written. You're not changing it. Foolish. Disciples, they were scared. They ran. Jesus said they would. There's a reason why that's in the Bible. Because we're disciples of Jesus, and we would have run too back then. Because it was foolish, didn't make sense, and the Lord and Savior that we were trusting in with all of our heart was made completely a mockery of, okay? By everybody around him, he was taken, and those things happened. But it was the power of God that allowed Christ to be born a virgin. It was the power of God that allowed Christ to live a sinless life, to teach strong moral values and principles, and to display how to live a life that would honor God. It was the power of God that stayed the strength of his hand as a son was beaten beyond recognition. Because I think God wanted to do something at that moment. Strike my son, I strike you. You ever felt that way, dads? Power of God that stayed the strength of his hand as a son was beaten by recognition, spat on, mocked, stolen from, rejected, by religious leaders, nailed to a wooden cross, hung in front of a crowd to die, and Jesus calls out, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It was the power of the God that forsook his only begotten son as he took on the sins of the world. Jesus cried out, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? He felt a disconnect. He knew what was going on and the sins of the world being poured on him. It was the power of God that held him there, bloodied and bruised. Don't think it was the nails. A lot of people say, oh, there's no way the nails could have held him. It did other people. But if nothing else, it was the power of God. Because there's right, there's no way nails could have held him. He could have come down any moment. But that wasn't the power of God. That wasn't what God wanted. Foolishness, right? It was the power of God that Jesus Christ the Messiah cried out at the end in victory, it is finished. It was the power of God that allowed him to die. A lot of people thought it was their power. Oh, we got him to that point. We beat him. We did a good job crucifying him, guys. Look at that. He died quick on that cross. It was the power of God that actually provided the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. You know, he kind of shows up in the story all of a sudden, just randomly. 
And he just so happens to have a tomb that's available. And he just so happens to apparently be a follower of Jesus. And he just so happens to have the connections to go to Pilate to be able to offer his tomb to him to be able to put Jesus in because he didn't want Jesus just left out there to rot. And Pilate allowed for Joseph of Marimathea to go. But you know what? You look at it, that's the power of God that set all that up. Jesus is laid in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. It was the power of God that stationed soldiers by that tomb and sealed it with the stone. Now, it was the request of the religious leaders, and it was the command of Pilate. But I think God really wanted to set that one up because it was sealed, and there were Roman guards stationed, and there was a big old stone rolled in front of it. Because we know that it was the power of God that early Sunday morning, three days after Jesus Christ the Messiah was crucified, that a great earthquake shook, an angel of the Lord came down, the seal was broken, the stone rolled away, and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ stood once again with a face that shone with lightning and clothing that was as white as snow. The power of God that put Jesus on the cross, that kept Jesus on the cross, that allowed for the world to make a complete mockery and follow him on the cross is the same power of God that rose Jesus back from the dead three days later. Don't miss that. That's the message of the cross. It was the power of God that Christ rose and ascended before the disciples into heaven. And it's the same power that an angel stood by the disciples that watched him rise and said, hey, someday he's going to return from heaven in the same way that you just saw him go. Same power. <clears throat> the message of the cross is not foolishness to me. It's the power of God. It's the power of God. So check this out. This is what foolish means, okay? Greek, just in case you didn't know this, Greek for foolish, marina, or from the word moros. What word do you think we might say today that has to do with those two words? Yeah, what? Yeah, moron. Yeah. Say that on US1 once or twice during snowbird season, don't we? Actually, even now. All right? So yeah, the word moron. So Christians, hey, bunch of morons. That's what the world thinks. You're foolish. So here, check this out. Scripture says this and uh, actually pulls, but here we go. Scripture, verse 19 of 1 Corinthians. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. That's God talking. So in verse 20, so where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of the world look foolish. They can't explain it. They can't make it up. They couldn't have come up with a better story. They can't come up with a solution. They don't know exactly how it is that Jesus rose in three days. They don't understand the cross. They don't understand any of it. It's foolish not only to them when they look at it, but when they try to describe anything that has to go with it and use wisdom, they just sound foolish. They miss things. They don't want to take the word of God at its word. Verse 21, since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he used our, talking about himself, talking about Christians that share the message of the cross. He used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. Verse 21, since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him. That word know is the same word for gnosko. You've heard Pastor Eddie talk about it, that that's actually that word of a husband and a wife get married, the ability to know intimately. That same word for gnosko is the same one that Matthew uh, chapter 7, verse 23, Jesus is talking, and he's like, hey, there's so many of you 
that are my followers. And there will be a day whenever you'll stand before you and you'll say, Lord, didn't we prophesy? Didn't we preach? Didn't we teach? Didn't we do miracles? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? And Jesus is going to look and say, hey, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. To know God, okay, to know God does not come with the wisdom of the world. They're not going to know, you're not going to know God by figuring it out, okay? You're not going to know him by figuring it out. There's so many that I think want to just figure it out. Don't try to figure it out. The Bible clearly says what happened to Christ. God clearly shares that he was hung on a cross, and that's actually really foolish. Check this out, verse uh, 22. It's foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven, and it's foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. Check this out. So the Jews, so Paul, he's a Jew. This is proof that it was foolishness to him because Paul goes around killing Christians and he's doing it because he is a strong and devout Jew that worships God. He has worshiped the Lord since birth. He's gone to the best schools. He has all the knowledge as a Pharisee about God. He studied under some of the top Pharisees to know who God is. He can preach like you wouldn't believe the Old Testament. He knows it in and out. He knows that he's waiting for a Messiah. He even knows he's waiting for a Messiah. But the world's wisdom within the Pharisaical life taught that the Messiah was going to come in and kick tail, just like he did with David coming in and kind of regaining all this control and being able to be set up as a king. They're imagining that since losing their kingdom, God is going to send the Messiah specifically to reset the kingdom back up on earth. When in reality, he's actually coming to abolish the effects of sin He's coming in to completely set up his kingdom and allow for men and women throughout all of eternity to turn and to be able to have hope and faith in what he's going to do. It's not about here, it's about there. And so Paul missed that because of human wisdom. And in missing it because of human wisdom, he killed men and women that were followers of Jesus Christ. And the reason why he did that was because even in the Old Testament, we find out that in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 23, that alone said that if you hung on a tree, you were cursed. Well, how can the Messiah be cursed? He's not allowed to be cursed. He's from God. So he, Jesus hung on a tree, he's cursed. So in that alone, the Jews would have scoffed and said, ah, forget this guy. But at the same time, if he would have all of a sudden busted off of the cross in full power and displayed it before the Jews, they would have listened because that's who they were looking for. But that's not what God was doing in his power. And so Paul says, I'm not going to trust Jesus because I haven't seen the power. And I, Jesus knew that. That's what I just can't get out of my head. God knew that about Saul, about Paul. And that's why he comes forward in a flash of light as Paul is traveling to Damascus. And he says, why are you persecuting me? You love me. You worship me. You follow me. And he blinds him. And he experiences the power of Christ in that moment. And he all of a sudden realizes that it's not foolishness. Because God has a play in the wisdom of what Paul experiences. It's not human wisdom. Now the Greeks, on the other hand, the Greeks were a completely different set of people. The Romans, the most humiliating form of death was the cross. It was reserved for criminals. It was reserved for people that were like, you know, your robbers, your thieves. But it was also reserved for the slaves. It wasn't a Roman citizen death, okay? It was a slave death. It was reserved for the lowest class of society, and it was a way to keep control. You hung at eye level, you rotted away, birds picked at you, okay? You screamed in agony as you hung there, 
The Roman soldiers did whatever they wanted to while you were there. Roman citizens could do whatever they wanted to to you while you were there. And people walking by could do whatever they wanted to to you while you were there. It was a disgrace. Your family wouldn't own you at all. They'd say, forget about that. Your name would literally just hang on, you would hang on a cross and you would rot away to be forgotten for all of eternity. That was the idea. And it was for control. And the Roman government did it on a constant basis. Jesus was not the only person to hang on a cross. And it wasn't just the two criminals next to him either. Thousands upon thousands of people died on a cross and we don't know who they are. Because that was the Roman way to disgrace you and to make everyone forget about following you. If there was an uprising against Rome, cross. The Roman cross was a terrible way to die, and it was made so that way people would think you were a complete fool, and they'd make fun of you, and they'd walk away. Was it, when I was looking at commentaries, actually back from like 200 AD, sometime around then, there's a depiction that's actually on a wall, and you have to look it up. Uh, I forget the guy's name now that I'm trying to of it because that's just what's happening to me uh, but there's a depiction and you have to look it up but it's a stick figure of a guy on a cross with a human body and a donkey's head and it's a man that's before the cross and he's got a hand in the air and underneath it's the guy's name and I can't remember the name of the guy but it's this guy worshiping his God the point was mockery and it, it continued on through the centuries and it's something that's been uncovered but yeah that's people just made fun of the cross they made fun of anyone that worshipped this guy that died on the cross. And that was the point. So for the Greeks, for the Romans, for anyone, any Gentile, it was to make fun of, they were making fun of anybody that worshipped this guy that had died on the cross. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended, obviously, because that means we're calling that person their Messiah, and they're not going to have that. And the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. The same word of moron, okay? They say you're a moron. This is what Paul's writing to the Corinthians back in 1 Corinthians 1. Still applies today. Okay? The world still thinks that to preach Christ crucified is moronic. And they make fun of it on a daily basis, do they not? In different ways. Verse 24, But to those who are called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans. And God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. And that word strength is the same word, it's dionymus or something like that, but it's the idea of dynamite, just full-on power in a moment. And it can overtake almost anything that you can imagine. And that's that word strength. God's strength, okay, is stronger than anything. But even his weakness is stronger than anything a human can come up with. Think of the strongest thing that we've ever come up with in the world, and God's strength is stronger by a long shot than that. His, but his weakness is stronger than a, by a long shot than that. Okay, so that's the idea. He is not weak. He is not weak. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Another commentator, this is actually written that there were not many that were wise, there were not many that were wealthy, there were not many that were powerful, and there was uh, one commentator that said, because they were actually wealthy, uh, they said, man, I'm really glad that M is there, because if it was there were not any that are wealthy, I'd be in trouble. There are not many that are wealthy, so to have power here on earth makes it a lot harder to trust in the power of God. It's a blinding factor to have extreme wisdom or power or knowledge. 
And those that have it usually do not turn to the gospel. But if you're here this morning and you have any of those things and you've turned to the gospel, you got it. You realize that you had to be a little foolish. But at the same time, if you're sitting here and you have any of those things, I'm guaranteeing you that one day you will stand before the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the Prince of Princes, the guy with cattle on a thousand hills, the one of all knowledge. We will all stand before him for a moment and then we'll drop to our knees and we'll kneel. And we will find out for a fact that he is all-powerful, and that he has all knowledge. And I'd rather you make the decision today to trust him and to trust the cross versus anything else that you've ever heard about Jesus. First off, trust the cross because it is the power for salvation. But it seems foolish, doesn't it? Instead, God chose this. Check this out. The things of the world that the world considers foolish in order to shame those that think they're wise. He chose things that are powerless to shame those that are powerful. Verse 28, God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. So here, check this out, verse 30. God has united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. This is what Jesus did through the cross. Got to have the cross. The cross has to be there. cross pays for sin. Jesus couldn't just come and be this like really awesome teacher. He had to die on the cross. He had to die in a way that was foolish. He couldn't just die a simple death. He had to die a sinner's death. He had to die a horrifying death because that's the death God required by his power. So he had to die that death. And it seems foolish, yes, but he had to. And through that, Christ made us, that means me, made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, so I insert me as well. He made me pure and holy through that. And he freed us from sin. I'm going to insert myself. He freed me from sin. Right with God. The idea of righteousness made us pure and holy, sanctified, set apart. Freed us from sin, redeemed. So, you can say this. I'm righteous through the cross of Christ. I'm sanctified, not going to be. I'm made holy. I'm sanctified. I'm redeemed. I'm bought with a very high price. It's actually a slavery price. It's the price that someone would pay to have complete freedom and the debt forever paid. To to become a slave again was nonsense at that point. Because your debt was completely paid, you were free. That's redeemed. Never a hope of being redeemed, by the way, because of how high that price is. But I'm redeemed because Christ was crucified. You do not get any of those things without the cross of Christ. You get those from the cross and only from the cross. You don't get it through Jesus' teachings. You don't get it through just the way he showed us how to love God and follow God. You don't get it through just experiencing a miracle. You don't get it through being able to watch a beautiful sunset. You don't get it from just Jesus even raising from the dead because he had to die. There had to be a cross, and it was foolishness. And it had to be foolish because if I could figure it out, if you could figure it out through knowledge, then you missed it. God had to make it foolish, especially back then. It had to be foolish so that the world of wisdom the world seeking wisdom, the Romans, the, the Greeks, the ones that elevated wisdom above everything else 
would have to seem extremely foolish. He had to do that. And he still does that today so that you can be righteous, so that you can be sanctified, and so that you can be redeemed. The cross of Christ is the point. So therefore, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast, if you want to celebrate, if you want to have anything to rejoice over, boast only about the Lord. So here's a question. Are you righteous? Are you right with God? That's a question you can ask yourself. Are you right with God? By the way, the answer is not, I think so. Because if you think so, then you don't understand the cross of Christ. So stop being a fool. We'll get there. You can't think so. If you think so, trust in the cross of Christ and know so. Gnosko. <laughs> All right. Get it? We might make a shirt or something, sticker. I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to say that now for the next couple. All right. Are you pure and holy? You don't think so. You gnosko, right? Got it. You got it. That's why he said it. All right. <clears throat> But you should be, if you, you are pure and holy. Now, the rest of Corinthians, now hear this. The rest of Corinthians, Paul, just like he did, kind of like, you guys have divisions and that's not okay. Okay? So they're pure and holy, but they still make mistakes. And we got to fix those mistakes in order to better represent Christ. Okay? So there's a reason why we do things on earth. Okay? There's a reason why we try to live a better life. There's a reason why we catch ourselves screwing up and we have to make changes. There's a reason why that exists. But it's not to get to being pure and holy. You are pure and holy, and through that pure, holy life that God has given you through the cross of Christ, you can start to change. Okay? But you don't change to get the pure and holy life. So here's the question. Are you pure and holy? Again, I think so. No. Gnosko. All right. Are you freed from sin? Redeemed? Now, that's the one that a lot of people sing and dance around and say, I'm free, I'm free. You know, that's good. But are you free from sin? Are you free from sin? You struggle with it, yeah. But are you free from it? Yeah. If you think you are, I'd rather you gnosko that you are. Right? You are free from sin. You're still going to struggle with it. Still going to tempt you. That's still there. Sometimes that temptation is just to kind of see like, hey, you know to make the right decision. Let's see you do it. And then all of a sudden the angels in heaven are like, yeah, you made the right decision. And they have this big party. Right, you're going to get to join them in that party later. But for right now, you're freed from sin. The cross of Christ does that in your life. It frees you from sin. That's a hard thing to bite off because the world tells us, well, you've got to work, you've got to work, you've got to work, and then, and then you'll get better at being freed from sin. No, you're freed from sin at the cross. That's what Jesus' power has done. That's now I have the decision that I can make, and I can actually honestly make a decision not to sin. I can choose to do that right now, but I'm going to struggle with it because I'm not gone from this earth. So here's another thing. Just like Paul, is God calling you? So now we jump even further back. So if any of those questions you said, I think so, now here's a question. Is God calling you right now to know so? If God is calling you right now to know so, you'd be a fool to reject him. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you so much for who you are. God, of all the places that we could be, of all the scriptures that I could be in, God, you kept me here for two weeks. And uh, God, I could have preached a lot of things, a lot of morals, and that would have been good. I could have still focused on the cross, God, and I know that I would have, and that would have been great. But God, you brought me to 1 Corinthians, and Paul is just in the middle of this church, in the middle of a church that's surrounded by debauchery and sin. Kind of sounds like today. You've called a holy people that is already set apart and holy. You've called a holy people, people that is 
redeemed. You've called a holy people that has the opportunity. They are righteous. They are righteous. Father, if there's someone here that doesn't know for sure, someone here that doesn't know so, that doesn't know you, Father, I ask that you call them right now and they make the decision to trust in the foolishness of that cross because it seems so weird that that's all it is. But that's it. Father, help them trust you today with eternity through the cross. Father, one day we'll get to be with you in all of glory for forever, but for right now you've left us here. Help us to be able to share the message of the cross with people this week and not to mask it. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.